So this today we are in our fifth week of teaching on the Beatitudes. And if you remember over the last few weeks, we've learned that they're not a checklist of qualities that we need to um, muster up in order to gain God's approval. Um, C.H. Spurgeon, a, a great preacher, described the Beatitudes as this ladder of light because every one of them rises above and out of those that precede it. The whole ladder rests upon grace, and grace puts every rung into place. So today, we are going to look at blessed are the merciful. Now, have you noticed that the first four Beatitudes are mostly to do with our relationship with God? We've looked at them, you know, Tristan and Olivier have spoken on them. Um, uh, Being poor in spirit, so we recognize our need of him mourning over the things that aren't how God intended, our meekness in surrendering ourselves to God, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, and that righteousness is God himself. That's what we learned last week, wasn't it? So the first four Beatitudes are all about the vertical, us in relation to God. But the one we're going to look at today is mainly about the horizontal, our relationship with others. Now, does this remind you of anything? If we were going to invite Moses this morning, he would say, of course, the first four of the Ten Commandments are all about our relationship with God before moving on to our relationship with others. If we were inviting the disciples into church, they would say, of course. Jesus said more or less the same thing when he gave us the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, mind, and strength. Did he leave it there? No. He went on to tell us, Peter um, Peter would say, or John would say, no, he went on to tell us to love our neighbors as ourselves. So what does that tell us? Firstly, we can't have one without the other. We can't focus on our relationship with God without focusing on our relationship with people or vice versa. Doing that, is like trying to ride your bike with a flat tire. You're going to be in for a bumpy ride. So it does show us that we need the two in in equal measure. It shows us that if our vertical relationship with God isn't right, that affects our horizontal relationship with one another and vice versa. Our horizontal relationships with people affect our relationship with God. So this morning, we're going to look at what this word mercy means and what it means to be merciful in practical ways. So before we look into the passage, we need to get into the mind of what a first century listener to Jesus would have been thinking. Because it's very easy for us, being in 21st century, to put our 21st century spin on it. The Jews were used to the idea of being merciful. They knew the Torah. They could probably tell you that in Leviticus, God had commanded them to take care of foreigners because they'd been foreigners and mistreated in Egypt. They were also called to leave the sides of their fields unharvested so the poor could have the leftovers. Do you remember the story of Ruth and Boaz? That's what happened in that story. That's how they actually met. 
So this idea was being merciful, was recognized as a characteristic of God by the Jews. However, in the New Testament, we see the scribes and the Pharisees in action, and they were exhibiting the very opposite of being merciful. We see them as judgmental and self-righteous. They were more concerned about outwardly obeying a list of rules, most of which God hadn't actually put into place, than helping those that they were supposed to be leading. Now, the Romans, they were ruling Israel at the time, and the very idea of mercy to them was completely preposterous. One Roman philosopher, this is what he said, he called mercy the disease of the soul. It was a supreme sign of weakness for a Roman to be merciful. Weakness was a sign to a Roman that you didn't have what it took to be a real man. Women weren't involved. And especially a real Roman. The Romans, they glorified courage and strict justice and firm discipline and absolute power. They looked down on mercy because to them, mercy was weakness. Weakness was despised. Now, has a lot changed in our world? Have you ever watched The Apprentice? When they know that someone is going to get fired, there's not much mercy there, is there? Or if you're at school, or you can remember being at school, you can remember that far back, have you ever witnessed someone being bullied in the yard? Not much mercy there, is there? So what we're going to do, we need to keep that in mind when we hear God's word. So once again, we're going to turn to Matthew uh, chapter 5. And we'll start at verse 3. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. I'm reading from the NIV. We'll start at verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. This is our key verse for today. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets uh, who were before you. If you are the salt of the earth, sorry, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So, 
first of all, we've got to be thinking, we've all got to be thinking uh, about what is mercy, because we've got to have a right conception of that in our head. What is mercy? Now, sometimes we think of mercy in the terms of a battle or a fight. I want you to imagine Zorro. I think we've got a picture of Zorro coming up. Can we, Amelia? Is that? He should come up. For those of you who are, there you go. There's, uh, there is Zorro. Now, those of you who might have watched Zorro as a kid or seen the film, imagine Zorro, okay? He's got his cape on. He's got his mask. He is a crusader against injustice. Imagine Zorro in a fight. The winner will be the one who can overpower the other. Now, Zorro, he's got his opponent on the floor. He's about to stick his sword into him to finish him off. And the defeated man shouts, have mercy. And because Zorro's a really good guy, he relents and the bad guy survives. And sometimes we tend to think of mercy in those terms. The winner reluctantly gives the loser a second chance. But the word that is used in, in verse 7 in the Beatitudes is way bigger and more beautiful than that. Bit of Greek for you this morning. The word used is L-A-A-O. Right? L-A-A-O. A-O. L-A-A-O. And it's used as a verb and it means to feel sympathy with the misery of another, which leads to action on behalf of another. I'll say that again because it's worth, worth uh, saying again. To feel sympathy with the misery of another, which leads to action on behalf of another. It's a lot bigger than feeling sorry for someone. It's entering into the pain of that person and doing something to help alleviate it, most frequently in action, less frequently in word. A feeling deep down inside that spurs you into action on behalf of another. Now, I don't know about you, but I find this a real challenge. It's relatively easy, isn't it, to feel sorry for people, to sympathize with them. But L-A-A-A-O, that's hard, L-A-A-A-O takes it to another level. It's acting in order to help relieve that misery. Now, that's a completely bit different ball game, isn't it? It can be messy. It can be time-consuming. It can be inconvenient. It costs. But as Tristan said the other week, the Beatitudes are a way of colouring in or adding detail to what Jesus says is the way to be salt and light. So this Beatitude shows us how being salt and light, how the kingdom of God demonstrates itself in our dealing with others. So whereas, where else has this word L-A-A-O been used in Scripture? And most often it's used when Jesus heals someone. I think we've got another slide, Amelia. So in Matthew 9, 27, Jesus heals two blind men. They cry out to Jesus, have mercy on me, son of David. What does Jesus do? Does he say, oh, you poor thing. That's awful that you're blind. Be blessed. I'll pray for you. No, he is filled with compassion and heals them. He does something to alleviate their suffering. Again, in Matthew 15, 22, 
when the Canaanite woman whose daughter was demon-possessed, she shouts, have mercy on me, O Lord. Same word, L-A-A-O. Again, Matthew uh, 17, verse 15, Jesus heals a boy that nowadays we would say has epilepsy. Lord, have mercy on my son. What they're really saying to Jesus is, Lord, please enter into the misery of this person that I love and do something about it. Now, we might think, well, that's Jesus. That's quite proper for him to do that to them, but that's, they're not me. The same word is used in Hebrews. Let's have a quick look at Hebrews chapter 2, if you've got your Bible with you. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. The same root word is used, but instead of being mercy, it's merciful. Listen to this. The writer of the Hebrews says this. Since the children have flesh and blood, he, that's Jesus, too shared in their humanity so that by his death we might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not the angels he helps, but Abram's descendants. For this reason, this is the important verse, for this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. I think verse 17 is worth another read, isn't it? For this reason, Jesus had to be made like his brothers, uh, the 1984 uh, NIV says, in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. So it's not just that Jesus felt sorry for us, but Jesus became like us in order to enter into the pain that being human often brings. Why? So he could become our high priest. He could represent us before the Father. He could make atonement for our sins. Why? Because just like the people to whom Jesus showed mercy, L-A-A-O, in order to heal them, something they couldn't do themselves, he has shown mercy to us by taking our sin that we couldn't sort out ourselves and nailing it to the cross. I'm reminded of that Matt Redman song. Who alone could save themselves, their own soul to heal? No one. Matt Redman doesn't sing that, but that's what I'm saying. No one. Our shame was deeper than the sea. Your grace is deeper still. You, that's Jesus, you alone can rescue. You alone can save. You alone can lift us from the grave. You came down to find us. He, there was an action there. Jesus didn't look up in heaven and go, oh, those poor things, those sinners. He came down to find us, led us out of death. To you alone belongs the highest praise. Through the cross and his resurrection, Jesus showed us the 
utmost Elios mercy of God by once and for all sorting out the pain of separation from God that sin and death can bring. So, what does it mean to be merciful? We looked at what it is. What does it mean to be merciful? And to, to look at that, we're going to look at what it, being merciful isn't first. And in Matthew 25, Jesus talks about how there will be a judgment like the separation of sheep and goats. The important verse is verse 34 and 36 in Matthew 25. It says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation for the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was ill and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Now, if you look at these verses out of context, you might be mistaken into thinking this was a checklist of deeds that we're going to have to prove that we've done in order to get into heaven. But we've just heard the truth that we can't save ourselves. We just heard the truth that Jesus became our merciful high priest for the precise reason that our good deeds can't earn us a place in heaven. So what does this, all this mean? What Jesus is saying, what does it mean? Jesus is saying, being merciful isn't a way of gaining favor with God. It's not a means to be saved, but it's an evidence that we have been saved. If we have been saved, then the Elaeos of God should be within us, and that should be poured out to others. If we have absolutely grasped how much mercy God has shown us, we show that mercy to others. Now, what does James, Jesus' brother, say on the matter? He says quite a lot. James chapter 2, verse 14. It says this. This is a real challenge to us. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith with deeds. So, if being merciful is a result of our salvation, a result of experiencing Christ's immense mercy to us, who couldn't save ourselves, how can we show that mercy in our daily lives? How can we be merciful? It's all very well saying, oh yes, we need to be merciful. How can we actually do that? So we'll start by thinking about maybe the people who are closest to us. Being merciful is deciding to forgive the things that offend us. Whether a per person has intentionally or unintentionally caused that offence. Now it's hard, isn't it, not to be offended and 
even harder not to stew over that offense in our mind. Fancy them saying that. And you think about it, think about it, don't you? What causes us to be offended? Is it not a pride issue that tells us that we're too good to be treated in such a way? What's the antidote? Look again at the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those that understand their desperate need of God because we recognize we are just as sinful as the person who's offended us and we are also in need of God's mercy. What else is being merciful? It's deciding to assume the best of someone and not the worst, to give people the benefit of the doubt. When in a position to exercise power over others, we don't unless by doing so we can protect them or help them. If we've got a naturally forceful personality, we don't take advantage of that to get our own way. We're sensitive to those who might not have had the same opportunities as us and empower them and help them grow into their strength and gifts. That's being merciful. We hold back from making comments that might cause embarrassment or, be sh- or shame people or cause them discomfort. And when we, if we have to confront someone, we don't enjoy it. We don't think, you know what, I'm just going to have to get this off my chest. Or I need to set that person straight. A merciful person feels the pain of the one that they need to, that they need to confront. And if something needs to be said, they do it as gently as possible. Think about the third beatitude. Blessed are the meek. To be merciful is choosing not to assert ourselves as being right when we make judgments about someone, but to trust God to direct that person. So you see, Jesus' beatitude is a very, very practical thing, isn't it? Being merciful is showing God's love to, to those who maybe have never experienced it. It might be to those who reject or ridicule you what, you're a Christian? Are you mad? Why? Because we have grasped that gut-wrenching mercy that God feels towards them, and we feel it towards them. Think about the fourth beatitude, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. We are longing for Jesus' righteous character to to be displayed in our lives Because we've grasped how much mercy we ourselves have received, and we want other people to receive that too. It's helping someone in a practical way. You know, I always want to be practical. Even if that might inconvenience us. Even if it might be financially detrimental. Even if it might mess up our carefully constructed calendar. Think of the parable of the Good Samaritan. I think I've got a a picture of him. Think of the parable of the Good Samaritan. This story that Jesus told perfectly encapsulates four aspects of mercy. First of all, it sees the need, the hurt, and the distress, and feels compassion. If you remember the story, the Samaritan saw the man beaten up lying on the road, and his heart went out to him. Noticeably, the religious people who knew what the Torah commanded saw the same situation but reacted in a different way. Secondly, mercy acts and provides practical help. 
What did the Samaritan do? He bandaged the man's wounds, set him on his own animal, took him to an inn and took care of him. Thirdly, mercy immediately helps and often goes above and beyond what's needed. So the man, the good Samaritan, he took a detour to an inn so the person could be taken care of. Probably inconvenient to him. It might have delayed his journey, so his schedule had to alter. He paid for the man's board and lodging, which might have been financially detrimental to him. And fourthly, mercy acts even when the person in distress is an enemy. Now, the Samaritans, we've got to realize, get our head around what it was like being in the first century. The Samaritans were the enemy of the Jews. The Jews despised them. They were half-breed Jews. They weren't proper Jews. The Jews, the Jews despised them. The Samaritans despised the Jews as well. So what was, the Samaritan, what was the reason the good Samaritan acted this way? Did he do it to get some sort of reward, to get brownie points? <laughs> no. Slap bang in the middle of Luke 10, 33 is this phrase. When he saw him, that's the good Samaritan, saw the man on the road, he took pity, L-A-A-S, on him. The only reason the Good Samaritan did all those things, his only motivation was that the LAAS of God was in him. Um, a few weeks ago, in our week of prayer and fasting, we had a prayer walk, and Laura and Rebecca and myself, we walked around the streets around the church, and it forcibly struck me, once again, that if our mission statement of Jesus at the centre of our lives our church, our community, and our world is going to be more than a catchy slogan. We need to get to know the people who live in the community around our church. How can we demonstrate the LAAS mercy of God to Fishpool if we don't know the people who live in Fishpool? We can't. We absolutely need to get to know them. We need to become friends with them. That's what Jesus did. He became friends. Uh, I'm reading Romans at the moment, and uh, I read a line in the commentary I was reading that's haunted me since. I'll read it to you. Tristan will be thinking, oh no, she's on it again. If you or your church disappeared tonight, would the community around you notice? I'll read that again. If you or your church disappeared tonight, would the community around you notice? Now we can take this in two ways. Would the people who you have contact with day by day notice? We can take it that way on a personal level, but we can also take it as a church. If we disappeared, if there was no MCC at all from tonight, would the people in Fishpool notice? And that's what we've got to think about. And reaching out into our community has got to be a priority for us and there's going to be lots more opportunities for us to get involved in that in the next few weeks and months. So, what's mercy? Let's just recap. In teaching, they always say it's always good to do a plenary. What, Sarah knows. So, what's mercy? Mercy is compassion in action. Why are we called to be merciful? Because we have an are continually being shown mercy. God is merciful to us, and in his love for us, he became like us. Jesus 
in his mercy, entered into the mess of human life to show compassion with action to the sick, the marginalized, and supremely to die to atone for our sin. When I've been studying Romans, I've re-realized how sinful I am, how in need of God's grace and mercy I am, how great is the love and mercy that God has poured out on me that I should be declared justified because of what Jesus has done for me on the cross. Justified, just as if I'd never sinned. And because God's mercy is continually being poured out on me, I am to share this LAAOS with others. We are to share this LAAOS with others. Proverbs 3, verse 3, in the Amplified Version, said this. Uh, Amelia, I think the last slide. Do not let mercy and kindness and truth leave you. Instead, let these qualities define you. Bind them securely around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. In some, in some um, translations, it says, uh, wear them as a necklace around your neck. I love that. Do not let mercy and kindness and truth leave you. Instead, let these qualities define you. I think to myself, does that quality define me? Bind them securely around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Imagine a beaded necklace like on the slide. Imagine a beaded necklace around your neck. Instead of precious stones that we might view as valuable. Sorry, I lost my page. The beads are the qualities that God sees of eternal worth, mercy, kindness, and truth. So, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. We've received mercy already. We need to show that mercy to others. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what a great God you are, that you entered into our mess, into our sinful world, and you became sin for us. You took the punishment that we should have had for our sin, and you have justified us. You have made us just as though we had never sinned. We praise you, Lord Jesus, for that truth. But we know, Lord, that it needs to make a difference to us. If we have received mercy and continue to, see, uh, to experience your mercy, we need to show that to others. So, Lord Jesus, we ask that you will produce in us, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that LAOS mercy to others, that sees them as you see them. Help us, Lord, give us ideas on how we, can sh how we can do that. Ideas of how we can show that mercy to the people that we know, the people we come into contact with every day, and, in the, and into our local area, into our area of Berry, and wider. Let us wear your mercy around our neck like a necklace. We ask these things in your name, Lord. Amen.